SoWin TV presents. SoWin TV presents. Hi, this is Jill Sharp with your Sharper Focus Word, where we sharpen your faith walk in God's Word. Wanted to hop on and talk to you about people pleasing today and share a few stories from my personal life as well and how God has really been doing a work on me in this area and how he needs to do a work on all of us in this area. I want to remind you today that not everyone is supposed to like you. If everyone likes you, there's a good chance that you're probably doing something wrong and you've never stood up for anything in your life. Wanted to kick us off by just reading you a few scriptures on people pleasing and then really dig into the meat of this word today. Galatians 1.10 says, does this sound as if I am trying to win human approval? No, indeed. What I want is God's approval. Am I trying to be popular with people? If I were still trying to do so, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let me read you another one. This is Proverbs 29, 25. It says, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting in the Lord means safety. Let me read you one more here. This is 1 Thessalonians 2, 4. It says, for we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Wow, these are so powerful, you guys. In other words, God is examining the motives of our hearts and he's saying, do you care about my opinion more or do you care about your neighbor's opinion more? ouch, right? That's something that's really important for us to consider. And I want to remind you guys that not everyone that you come into contact with is honoring God with their lifestyle or the way that they live. And so if we're making everybody happy, there's a good chance that we are appeasing people whose behavior is not godly and we are not standing up for what is true, just, pure, lovely, and of a good report in our personal lives. Now, that's not to say we have to be ugly to people. That's not to say that we have to, you know, just aggressively go after people, you know, but what it is to say is if you are truly living your life for Christ and you're living it in a loving and sold out manner, it's going to make some people kind of have some ruffled feathers towards you sometimes. And that's okay. Something else that I want to remind you guys of today is not even you like every single person that you meet. Reminder, right? Isn't it silly how sometimes you can just walk up to somebody and decide that you don't like them? You don't have to have said two words to that person. And some people are so in the place where they just decide that they don't like someone based on a first appearance only, right? And so I want to remind you guys today that just because someone does not like you or someone has had their feathers ruffled because of you doesn't necessarily mean that you've done something wrong. Now, sometimes it does. Sometimes the reason they don't like you is because you have not been a nice person, you've sinned, X, Y, Z, um, but that's not what we're getting into today. But a lot of the times, just because someone doesn't like you does not necessarily mean that you've done anything wrong. You are not supposed to be every single person's cup of tea, ladies and gents. You know, God has a tribe that he has prepared for you, that he wants you to run with, that are going to encourage you in your walk with God, that are going to be great examples for you in your life, that are going to be mentors, people that you can help to mentor. And so when you find 
find that crowd, stick to it, ladies and gents. Love those people. Cherish those people in your life and understand that God didn't create you for everyone. He created you for specific people in your life who are called to specific assignments to run that race alongside you and to make an impact for the kingdom of God. I want to remind you today that everyone didn't even like Jesus and he was perfect. You know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees hated Jesus. And if he was the epitome of perfection, how much more should we not hold ourselves to ridiculous standards where we expect every single person that we encounter in our lives to like us? If not everyone liked Jesus and he was literally perfect, we should not be shocked when people don't like us for just living our lives sometimes. And that's okay, ladies and gents. You got to forgive people for that and continue to love on them and move forward. We've got to learn in our lives as Christians, quit trying to fit in with crowds that you were never supposed to fit in with in the first place. Quit trying to be someone that you were not to appease people who may or may not like you anyway. Listen to me, ladies and gents, your worth comes from God, not from that person's opinion of you. I'm going to say that one more time. Your worth comes from God, not that person's opinion of you. Listen to me, ladies and gents, people will talk about you regardless. You need to love Jesus and live your life according to his will. Amen. This is important stuff. Here's the other thing that I really want to reiterate today. You know, we see examples in the Bible of even Christians who were sold out for God who didn't always get along with each other very well. We see hints in the Bible, and I don't know this 100%, but that Peter and John may not have liked each other. You know, Peter questioned Jesus and said, well, what will happen to this disciple? What will happen to this one? Is he going to be martyred? Is he going to have to go through hard stuff? And Jesus basically told Peter, mind your own business. What happens to him is between me and him, right? And we see these little scuffles that kind of happen in the Bible between those two. That's just one example. You know, we also see in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul and Barnabas didn't get along very well. And they were Christians, sold out Christians. They eventually separated ways and went separate ways in ministry. Now, did that mean that either one of them was a bad person? Of course not. It just meant that that calling and that assignment for them to run their race together came to an end in that particular season. You know, just because people are not called to run with you any longer in a particular season doesn't necessarily mean that they or you or a bad person, ladies and gents. And so, you know, that's why it's so important for us to be God pleasers first and not people pleasers. Because if we spend our lives trying to please people, we can stay in seasons with people longer than we should have been in seasons with people with. You know, we can put ourselves in circumstances and situations where it causes us to slack off in our walk with God just because we're trying to appease someone. And, you know, the crazy thing is so often we assume what people will like and what they don't like. And half the time we're wrong about that. You know, it was so fun. I had a silly example of this when I was talking to a friend um, a little while back, and I just assumed that she would like a particular thing. And so I compromised what I wanted in that particular situation. I think we were going out to grab food somewhere and said, oh, okay, let's just go here because I thought she would like that better. And I just kind of assumed, you know, that I was pleasing her in that particular way by going to this particular place. And I ended up talking to her and we ended up, you know, kind of chatting about what we wanted. And she ended up saying, you know, Jill, I'm sorry, I really just don't want this place. Is it okay if we go somewhere else? And I went, oh, wow. I didn't really want this place either, but I was just kind of saying that because I thought it's what would make you happy. And she said, no, not really. I'd rather eat over here. And it made us both happier because we were both more in the mood for that other thing. I think it was like sandwiches or something we wanted to go grab. 
<laughs> and so we went on our way. But I am so glad that she spoke up and said, you know, you kind of assumed wrong, Jill. This is not actually what I wanted. I wanted this thing over here. And how often do we do that in our lives? We assume that other people will like us if we act a certain way, if we behave in a certain way. When really God is just saying, be yourself and the right people I will bring into your life. Ladies and gents, this is so important for us to be God pleasers and not people pleasers. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with us wanting people to like us, but where it becomes a problem is when we start to value people's opinion above God's opinion over our personal lives. I want to remind you today, be a God pleaser and not a people pleaser. Amen. Wanted to hop on and talk to you guys a little bit today about how our faith has to have works behind it in our walk as a Christian and as a believer in Christ. You know, I actually want to start in the book of Ezekiel today and talk to you guys a little bit more about this. So let's start in Ezekiel chapter 18, starting in verse 21 today. And it says, but if a wicked man turns from all his sins, which he has committed, keeps all my statutes and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live and he shall not die. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him. Because of the righteousness which he has done, he shall live. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? But... When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered because of the unfaithfulness of which he is guilty and the sin which he has committed. Because of them, he shall die. Verse 25, yet you say the way of the Lord does not fair. Hear now, O house of Israel. It is not my way which is fair and your ways which are not fair. When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity and dies in it, it is because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies. Again, when a wicked man turns away from wickedness which he has committed and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive because he considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed. He shall surely live and he shall not die. Yet... The house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, is it not my ways which are fair and your ways which are not fair? Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all of your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. Now, I know that's a lot of scripture I just threw at you guys. So I want to kind of digest this. The shortened version of this is basically God saying that if a wicked person truly repents and turns away from their place of sin and starts to live a righteous lifestyle after they give their life to the Lord, 
they're in good shape. And all that previous stuff that they did in their life, you know, when they were living a life that was not pleasing to God will not be remembered. But isn't it interesting that this also talks about what happens when a righteous person turns away from righteousness and commits iniquity and does all the same things that the wicked man does. And it says that the righteousness things that they did would not be remembered. And because of all the sin that they choose to participate in, they shall die. That's kind of a pretty scary warning if you think about it, guys. And what the Bible is trying to caution us against with this is the following. A righteous person, ladies and gents, knows the difference between right and wrong. And if you have already surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and you are still living like the world in a place of sin, and if you don't care about the consequences of that, that is proof, ladies and gents, that something is very wrong in your walk with God. And God says that those are the people that will not be forgiven. Those are the people who are going to experience death in their personal lives, who are embarking in all of these behaviors. There's a big difference, all right? I also want to read you Matthew 7, 17. It says, Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. God is making this very plain and simple in scripture. He's going, you can claim to be a believer, but if you're still bearing bad fruit on your life, if you're still living exactly like a sinner lives, if you have had no change of heart, if you're not even trying to live right in your personal life, something is wrong. And that means the tree overall is a bad tree if it is producing bad fruit in its life. Let me read you the next one. This is in the book of James. So this is James 2, starting in verse, verse 14. It says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. But even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, a foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered his son Isaac at the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by his works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Skipping to verse 26, it says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. You know, I really love this analogy that it gives in that very last verse that I read you. It says, For the body without the spirit is dead. And that's so true. The only reason that we are alive is because we are a spirit being, right? God created you as a spirit so that even when we pass away here on this earth, our bodies will decompose and will eventually go away. But your spirit lives on and you're either going to go to heaven or hell one day when you die. So this analogy is powerful. It's saying just like a body without the living spirit that makes you who you are in it is dead. 
So faith without the corresponding actions and works is dead also. So if we go back to our original premise for what we're talking about today, ladies and gents, we're talking about how, you know, your your righteousness, if you are truly living a lifestyle for God that is on fire and that is pleasing to him, you're going to produce good fruit. Now, it's not to say you're going to be perfect. It's not to say that God is waiting to bop you over the head every single time you mess up. But what it is saying is there should be a change of heart. We should want to be pleasing to God. We should want to repent. We should want to turn away from the place of sin in our personal lives. And we should look different in our lives as a Christian. We should not be living the exact same way that a sinner lives in their personal lives. And the Bible clearly shows us that if we are living that way, that there is something that's not right. You know, we read in this very first scripture when we were reading in Ezekiel that it says that if a righteous person commits iniquity, and continues in it, in that place of iniquity, and they don't repent and they don't turn around, they will eventually die in that place. And God's not going to honor that person's righteousness over the wickedness that they've done in their lives. And so I know this is kind of a warning word and it's a little bit harder for us to hear today. But ladies and gents, I just want to tell you, you know, it's not enough to just say that we believe in Jesus. That's a good first step. And yes, we are saved completely by his grace. It's not something that we can work our way towards in terms of earning our salvation. However, there has to be corresponding action with our faith because faith without works is dead. And so if we are living completely opposite in terms of lifestyle with accordance to what we say that we believe in, God's saying in scripture that clearly something is wrong with that and that we need to get ourselves back in alignment or we could be in a very real place of danger in our personal lives. Amen. I want to talk to you guys about a very important topic today. Today, we're talking about overcoming addiction and temptation. I wanted to start off with something very, very basic, and that's just a simple definition of what the word addiction means. Addiction means a strong and a harmful need to regularly have something, such as a drug, or to do something, such as gamble. Okay, so it threw in a couple of examples there, but we can be addicted to anything. You can have a food addiction. You can even have an addiction to a particular person in your personal life. If you're not careful, it's called idolatry, ladies and gents. And so addiction is something that the Bible talks about a lot. But I have good news. The Bible also says that Jesus has given us power over the place of addiction, but it does require some work on our part a lot of the time. Now, I love the stories where people go to the altar for the first time, they give their life to Jesus, and he instantly delivers them from all of this sin in their life and all of this today addiction. So let's say that they struggled with an alcohol addiction. You know, sometimes I've known of people personally who got set free on the spot when they got saved and they never struggled with it anymore after that. But unfortunately, that's not the majority, right? We love those cases. They're so awesome. But, you know, for a lot of us, God works on us, you know, over a period of time to help us to overcome these temptations from our past life and from the place where we were living according to our flesh. And he makes us victorious overcomers so that we can help to lead other people through in that place of victory in the future. Amen. How many of you guys know that if you are, have overcome in a particular area of your life, it makes you a much better mentor and coach to help lead people through who are dealing with the same stuff later on down the line? Amen. 
I wanted to read you guys a few scriptures and then we'll dig into more of the meat of this today. Okay, so this is a very important one. This is 1 Corinthians 6, 12. It says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Listen to me. This is when things become a problem. It's not just liking something and or, or enjoying a particular activity, but when it begins to have power over you, especially if it's a sinful behavior, that's when we know we have a problem in our personal lives. If it's something that you can't put down, you know, that's when you probably need to say, okay, God, maybe I need to take a break from this thing and you need to help me. I've even known of a lot of teens who are addicted to social media. How many of us could say that? A lot of us could say that too, where they will literally have with drawals if they're not plugged in on their phone every few seconds, right? And so this can apply to a bunch of different areas of our lives. And it's not wrong to enjoy certain things in our lives. But what is wrong is when it starts to have a power over us and it has more of a power over us than God has a power in our personal lives. That's when things can get sticky. Proverbs twenty five twenty eight says that a man without self-control is like a city broken in two and left without walls. That's crazy, you guys. Here's another one. Second Timothy 1, 7. For God, it gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of listen to this word ladies and gents self-control wow so it says that god has already given us self-control you guys catching this so the moment that you gave your life to jesus he equipped you with the ability to overcome temptation let me read you this scripture first corinthians ten thirteen says that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man god is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape so that you may be able to to endure it. So you might say to me, well, Jill, I've tried to come against this stuff. I have really, really tried to overcome this and I still can't shake this thing in my personal life. I want to encourage you. Don't give up. God has a plan and he is able to deliver you from this stuff. So I want to give you a very quick overview on how we overcome temptation in our personal lives. Okay. Number one, expose sin to the light, because I want to tell you that sin and addiction festers in a place of secrecy. We see this in John 3 verses 20 through 21. It says that when you bring things to the light, it loses its power. Okay. Number two is focus on reading the Bible as much as possible, spending time with God and replacing the wrong thoughts with the right thoughts. So often, the closer that we get to Jesus, the more this stuff is just going to work it out on its own. And so it's important to stay close to God when you're fighting this stuff, especially in the place of fasting and prayer. Fasting can help to break stuff off of your life faster than just about anything else, ladies and gents, because it crucifies your flesh. Okay. Number three, avoid situations where you will be considered quote unquote weaker to give in to that temptation. So for example, let's say you've got an alcohol addiction. Don't drive by the liquor store on your way home from work. Take a different route. It's that simple sometimes, ladies and gents. Number four, get accountability around you. This is critical because if you've got mentors that you know are going to call you out on something, something, and you're checking in on a regular basis, you're going to be a lot less likely to do it. 
Number five, see if the addiction is caused by a root issue in your life that you aren't addressing. Okay. Could be loneliness, could be abuse. Sometimes it's unfair situations that happen to us. But a lot of times people will turn to the place of addiction in order to quote, ease the pain of something else that's unaddressed in another area of their life. If that's you, maybe you've been using that form of substance to kind of numb the pain in your life. You might consider a good godly Christian counselor to help you to get to the root issues of what's going on. Okay. Number six, be honest when you stumble. Tell someone, get back up and keep going. It's okay, you guys. Just get back up and keep going when you do fall. Okay. Number seven, ask for God's continual help. This is so simple, but it's so powerful, ladies and gents. When you feel tempted, immediately pray that God would help you to overcome the temptation. All right. Number eight, pray in your prayer language when you're feeling tempted. All right. You know, the scripture specifically tells us that when we pray like that, it's speaking for us and it's interceding in a powerful way. So when you don't know what to pray and you're just feeling tempted in that moment, it's a powerful time to bring that out. Number nine, ask for forgiveness quickly, repent, turn and go in the other direction with your actions, and don't wallow in a place of guilt and condemnation, ladies and gents. Number 10, don't compare your journey to others. One person may be called to different boundaries and standards than what you're called to. That's okay, but you need to obey what God is telling you to do. Okay, let me give you a silly example. Let's say you're struggling with a porn addiction. Maybe God tells you to install the Covenant Eye software on your computer um, so that you can have greater accountability. But maybe the guy next to you who's also struggling with porn might just be called to, you know, only be on the computer in front of family and in public places a little bit more often. It's is one wrong versus the other? Of course not. But you need to do what God is telling you to do and don't compare your recovery journey to other people. Okay. Number 11, if you notice that an addiction runs in your family line, break generational curses in the place of prayer. This is critical, ladies and gents. You know, you might notice that alcoholism has been a problem in your family for generations. That could represent a general curse that you need to get into the place of prayer and break over your family line. And here's the last one that I like to tell people. Go to a deliverance minister for help if necessary. You know, sometimes there's a bigger root to these problems where we just need straight up prayer and we need this stuff kind of knocked off of our life, you know, from our past. That is okay. And there is no shame in that, ladies and gents. So if you've been struggling in the place of addiction, I want to encourage you, don't lose hope. Keep going. And if you do fall, don't stay in the dumps and don't assume that you're never going to get out of this. God is more than able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all you could ever ask, hope for, or imagine in your personal life. And he has made you an overcomer. Amen. Are you feeling broken or lost? Are you struggling to find a community of like-minded women? Come join us on Soul Win, Shining Our Light Women's Inspiration Network. Soul Win women have come out victoriously from their dark places and now use their God-given gifts to shine their light to the whole world. Get your free 30-day trial today. Go to www.soulwin.tv to subscribe now. Are you feeling broken or lost? Are you struggling to find a community of like-minded women? Come join us on Soul Win, Shining Our Light Women's Inspiration Network. Soul Win women have come out victoriously from their dark places and now use their God-given gifts to shine their light to the whole world. Get your free 30-day trial today. Go to www.soulwin.tv to subscribe now.